Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome, everybody, to Fruit Loop Season 3, Episode 19. Can you believe it? We've made it this far. I know. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We're, um, we, we have uh, 160,000 downloads. Wow. Um, almost 170,000. And uh, thank you again for listening yeah, to us, thank for flexing with us. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we do not hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight cisgender white dudes. What? There are many well-documented cases uh, of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because, well, the news is racist. Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Mm -hmm. 
also our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join the discussion by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod discussion or by joining our Facebook group. All of the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Correcto. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. We also have some merch for sale on our website. Mother, are you listening? Buy a mug. But if you can't help monetarily, no problem. You can always give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And this is very important. Please share our show with your friends. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo, a Cuban-American serial killer, drug dealer, and cult leader of an infamous gang dubbed by the media as the Narco-Satanists. Oh, boy. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, before we dive into it, uh, how are you doing? I'm okay. I'm getting ready to visit my daughter and grandson for Thanksgiving, and I'm pretty excited about that. Awesome. It's going to be super cold, though, because they live in oh, North shit. Dakota. Um, <laughs> they can got they snow come here? already. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Yep. So you have to wear, like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, like a parka and, <laughs> and a bee, scarves, yeah, scarves, all that stuff. Yep. Uh, I love my mother very much. She lives up in uh, Spokane, Washington. It's too cold, so I just never visit her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it's cheaper for me to go up there than it is for all of them to come down here. So, right, one ticket. You just have to buy one ticket. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, me, I'm good. Um, my daughter is going to be turning five years old and oh we are planning her birthday and we're going to uh, just have it at a park and get a brinca brinca. And yeah, just <laughs> we invited a bunch of people and we didn't expect people to be like, yeah, we'll come. Uh, <laughs> so we're like, shit, we got to get like tables and stuff and chairs. Now we and have so, to actually have a party. And now, yeah, now we actually have to do something, <laughs> but uh, it, it'll 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 be fun. Uh, so, anywho, now we are going to dive into some listener letters. <gasps> Hello, angels. Hello. What, thank you. What do you got there? Well, we got a new patron, and her name is <gasps> Jessie. So, oh, uh, hip hop air horns to you. We love our patrons. Thank you, Jesse, for joining yes, us. Yes, thank you so much. And uh, Metamorphilia on Apple Podcasts wrote a review. The title mm. is Absolutely Fabulous. And they said, it's my absolute favorite podcast by far. Almost <laughs> awesome. Better is the Facebook group of fans. Join it. You won't regret it. And thank mm -hmm. you so much. And we love our yes. Facebook pod squad. They're so much fun. Uh, they are so much fun. And if it weren't... Uh, I, I, I'm going to... That's for you, Beth, because you manage that face, that Facebook group. Like, uh, I don't know. It's you're like it's like a superpower. You're like a super duper group moderator. Um, oh, I but don't the know group about that, is but... getting so big. It is it's growing so much. So um, Beth and I have talked about 
in the future we might we might need to have um somebody moderators help us, yeah. moderate it yeah because um you know i can't be in there all the time i gotta work and stuff so i right. i miss things sometimes too so mm-hmm. i i don't want to miss anything <laughs> <laughs> right yeah i don't i don't either and i um i i uh, I manage the Instagram and, and, and our Twitter feed. And then we kind of both manage like emails that come in and stuff, but we're, we're, we don't podcast full time. It's, it's, uh, it's a side hustle for us. So sometimes we, we miss stuff. So if you are out there in our pod squad, um, we just are really, really grateful for you being there. Yeah, for sure. Um, Terrence DC on Apple podcast says one of my favorites. I thought I knew true crime. I thought no one could name a serial killer I'd never heard of. Then I came across Fruit Loops and Wendy and Beth taught me a thing or two. Funny, informative and on point. This quickly became a favorite podcast for me. And I especially love Culture Corner. Keep up the great work and thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Terrence. Yes. So now we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to dive into the story when we come back. Hey, Wendy and Beth, this is Stacy giving you guys a call from Modesto, California. Yes, where Scott Peterson murdered his pregnant wife. Um, I just want to call and let you guys know that I am a true crime podcast avid listener. And I just found you guys today. And so far, I have listened to two episodes. And I think you guys are so entertaining. I love the podcast. Keep it up. I love the name Fruit Loops. That's so awesome. Um, I will be continuing to listen to you guys and I love the podcast so far. Hope you guys have a good one. So now we are back and uh, can you refresh our memory, Beth? Who are we talking about again? We're talking about Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo, a serial killer and cult leader in Mexico. His nickname was El Padrino. Padrino is Spanish for Godfather. Yeah. So now we're going to get into the stats, which is my favorite part of true crime. So Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo, a.k.a. the Godfather of Matamoros. Matamoros is a town, a border town in Texas, a.k.a. the witch doctor, uh, was a serial killer and cult leader who performed ritual torture and human sacrifices. And boy, oh boy. I mean, cutting off limbs, cutting off genitals, taking out Adam's apples. Ay, 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 ay. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah, he had at least 15 victims, but um, I've heard different accounts um, because there was a bunch of bodies buried up from this compound that that he had. And I heard a number as as high as 23. So, yeah, there were probably more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, His crimes took place from 1986 to 1989. And if you look at this dude's hairstyle, it's got mid 1980s all over it. Uh, His victims were men. Um, By the way, he was a member of the LGBTQ community. He was openly bisexual. And some of his followers were also um, LGBTQ community members. But in the 80s, we didn't have the verbiage to uh, describe these um, kinds of individuals. Uh, The crimes took place in, again, Matamoros, Mexico. Um, It is a border town and college students 
can go there for spring break. Yeah. You know, you can drink there at 16 legally and you don't have to be 21. So anyway, it's it's very, very close to the Texas border. Um, Constanza went down in a blaze of glory <laughs> on May 6, 1989. And he did not die at the hands of the police. Actually, uh, he had one of his followers kill him. So now we're going to dive into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Constanzo had roots in Cuba, where Palo, a religion with various denominations, was developed among African enslaved people and their descendants who originated from the Congo region. Syncretism, or the blending of religious ideas, is common in areas with a past of colonialism and slavery. Mm -hmm. The enslaved and conquered people have their own religions, which they would then adapt to Christianity when they were forced to convert. Right. They were forced to convert. And I've said this before on the podcast, the the people who were um, transported against their will from Africa also brought their religions with yep. them. So they adapted. Um, but palo in Spanish literally means stick. And palo, they, they use the stick in their religious um, like ceremonies and ceremonies yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so in Afro-Cuban religions, one of the characteristics is the union of African gods with Catholic saints. Other examples of this are found in Haitian voodoo, um, Jamaican Rastafarianism, Afro-Brazilian candomblé and Afro-Cuban santeria. I don't practice santeria. <laughs> I ain't got no crystal <laughs> Okay, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The people would continue to worship their own spirits or deities by connecting them to Catholic saints, using the saints to hide the continuation of their religious practices. Or in some instances, Catholic saints were actually integrated into their religious traditions. Denominations of Palo, oftentimes referred to as branches, include Mayombe, Monte, Briumba, and Kimbisa. The Palo organizational structure follows the model of a family. During slavery, when blood families often were broken up by slaveholders, this model was particularly significant and taken literally. The Palo religion is based on nature and our natural surroundings, such as plants, herbs, sticks, soil, rocks, and various types of water, including water from rain, the sea, a river, a lake, and ponds, streams, and creeks. It also includes the moon, the sun, and different seasons. In Palo, all that exists is considered animated by spirits. Natural objects, particularly sticks or palos, as I said earlier, are thought to be infused with powers. These objects are used in rites and religious practice. Problems can be overcome through rituals that make use of powers that are available in the natural world and in the various spirits that they worship. A nganga is a creation in Palo that is made from an iron cauldron into which several items such as bones and sticks are placed. It's made by a palero, which is a Palo priest, and is considered to be alive, that there's a spirit captured inside of it. It's used for magic and divination and sometimes to venerate the Mupungo, spirits of a higher power or gods. The Ngongo is to a Palero what an altar is to a Catholic priest. In Palo, there is no good or bad magic. For example, a woman might come to a Palero with the problem of an abusive boyfriend. The Palero performs rituals to help her with this problem. And at some points afterwards, the boyfriend is killed in a car accident. The Palero only asked for a solution to the problem, not for the boyfriend to be killed, but his death 
was the result. However, there is no judgment on good or evil because it is considered the will of the gods. Historically, there's not been religious literature available for most Afro-Caribbean religious traditions because the information was passed down orally. Traditionally, only Poleros, other initiates and active devotees, take part in rituals and worship. Also, because of their histories and persecution during the colonial period, colonial period is still here today anyway, (laughs) and afterward, and because contemporary society and media continue to demonize them, there is a high level of secrecy around Afro-Caribbean beliefs and practices. And this secrecy is part of what scares non-devotees, a.k.a. white people. The particular denomination of Palo that Constanzo purported to practice was Palo Mayombe, which has a really bad rap. Mm-hmm. Lots of people describe Palo Mayombe as the dark side of Santeria, but it actually has nothing to do with Santeria. It is derived from a totally different group of Africans, totally different tribe members. Interesting. There are some commonalities, but it's a completely different religion. It would be like saying Christianity and Judaism are the same religion. Oh, I'm glad that you said that because I, the sources that I reference, they all say, say um, it. In, yeah. they all say that it's the same. Um, yeah, it's or, not. or like a, 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 a darker darker version, version of, it. But, of it yeah yeah and i mean not all santeros not all santerias are like are like bad they just it's just a practice that they um engage in and it's not all evil so right. um i just want to uh put that, throw out, that there. out there yeah. yeah so in palo mayombe there is no human sacrifice human bones may be used in the ngaga to attract ancestral spirits but they are not from people people who were sacrificed, but from those already dead, from anatomical specimens or sometimes grave robbing. And uh, Adolfo engages in in some of that activity. And aside from the ritual sticks, other objects also go into the ngaga. Um, According to one palero, if you want the spirit to keep you safe from a gun or a machete, those things go into the ngaga. Um, I also heard sources say that the palero will cut himself and put blood into the ngaga. Yeah, they put blood and soil and uh, all kinds of stuff goes in there. And if you see pictures of them, they look freaky. You know, because there's all this stuff in there. But um, Mm -hmm. when I read that, that they put like a gun or machete in there to keep them safe from those things. I I found that really interesting. Right. Or um, I... I can't, I can't remember where I've, where I saw this, but they'll put like, if they want um, fertility, they'll put people's genitals in in there. Today's episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. It was a night like any other. We'd just finished a live show of the podcast at Madison Square Garden. It was (laughs) nice to see Megan and Harry. You know, so nice of them to come. Then we told the pilot, hey, gas up the PJ. We out of (laughs) here. Wait, gas up the PJ? Megan and Harry? (laughs) Just go with it, okay? Okay, okay. So, Wendy, we gassed up the PJ. And then what? Well, while we were on the PJ, that's private jet for regular folks. I was wondering. We were up in the clouds scoring some quality time with Best Fiends. It was incredible. And the good news is I'm on level 393. Right on. Yes, it sounds incredible. But if Mm -hmm. your head's in the clouds like Wendy in an imaginary (laughs) private jet with Megan and Harry or your feet are firmly planted on the 
ground at work or in line at the grocery store. One thing is true. Best Fiends is just plain fun. Mm, it is true. Now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect, so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs. I'm sorry, I was just looking at this funny text from Harry. Anyway, power up your favorite fiends to new levels for even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. With offline play, Wendy's favorite, you'll mm -hmm. never be stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection. Download your favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, anyway, now we're going to dive into the killer's <laughs> early life. So, Hit it, Beth. Adolfo Constanzo was born on November 1st, 1962 in Miami, Florida. His mother, mm. Delia Aurora Gonzalez de Valle, was a widowed Cuban immigrant. She gave birth to him when she was only 15 years old, and she would eventually have three children in total. Delia moved to San Juan, Puerto Rico, when her first husband died, and then she remarried. While in San Juan, Constanzo was baptized Roman Catholic, and he actually served as an altar boy, but he was also influenced by his mother's participation in Palo Mayombe. So a little culture corner. I don't know if how many people know this, but Cuban immigrants, as soon as they touch American soil, are granted residency, safe, oh, safe no, residency. So all they have to do is touch the, the Miami beach and they are cleared to go. And um, Miami is a very uh, Cuban city. Yeah. And Cubans, I don't want to say the Cubans are racist, but white Cubans don't consider themselves like brown people. They also tend to uh, not look favorably on the black Cubans, the African mm. Cubans that um, are from the same country as they are. Uh, and so, yeah. And so I, I have I have a Cuban American friend and <laughs> she says Cubans are racist. So I don't I mean, I, obviously, this is a, a, a bigger discussion that we can have at another time. But I just I know that Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo is a Cuban American, but I do think that Cuban racism is kind of an interesting um, dynamic thing to. Yeah, dynamic. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so Adolfo's family returned to Miami in 1972, but his stepfather uh, died soon after and his mother was soon remarried and his new stepfather was involved in the local drug trade and the occult. The local lore is that Constanzo's mother and grandmother were both known priestesses who worshipped the spirits at altars in their Miami, Florida homes. Neighbors of the Constanzos remember that they would sometimes find dead animals on their doorstep in their little Havana neighborhood. Good morning. Here's a dead chicken. Good morning. Here's a dead chicken. But I thought she would do it if somebody like pissed her off. Yeah, she was mad somebody at Somebody did her wrong right, and right. she would just put a dead chicken and i don't know about you again i'm i'm half central american and uh i also live in south phoenix there are chickens everywhere yeah, in south. yeah. chickens horses people riding up the street in horses chickens <laughs> at the elementary school like it, it's i don't it's i mean it's it would be easy to get a chicken and like put it on your neighbor's house yeah yeah uh, anyway 
<laughs> Delia was a habitual criminal arrested 30 times on various charges ranging from trespassing to shoplifting, check fraud, grand theft, and child neglect. But the charges never seemed to stick, and she always escaped with probation. She credited her good luck to her religion. Evidence suggests that Adolfo's mother also included him in her crimes, as both Adolfo and his mother were arrested several times. And I'm assuming they were arrested together, but I'm not sure. But that was part of mm. something that I read. Okay. Well, Delia allegedly had Adolfo blessed by a Haitian palo mayombe palero after the palero declared that Adolfo was a chosen one and quote unquote destined for great power. She believed this and groomed him for his future. And at an early age, he was taught to torture and kill animals for ritual sacrifice and was praised for showing no remorse. By the way, have you ever seen anybody kill a chicken? No. Oh, <laughs> guess it's just me, huh? <laughs> well, it's, you know, common on farms and stuff. I know my mom's family, they, they killed chickens. And my aunt, they had a pet chicken. Oh, my aunt and uncle <laughs> and their, their kids, their two kids, they, they had a pet chicken. And one mm. day the kids came home and there was chicken for dinner and it was the pet chicken. Oh, me, oh, my. Isn't that oh, crazy? Me. Oh, my. I still yeah, think well, about so, that. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> well, I just wanted, so like my African-American family, I've seen them kill chicken by grabbing its head and then twisting it around like a lasso. Mm -hmm. And then my uh, Central American family, I've seen them chop off the heads with a machete. So yeah, I've seen a lot of I know my mom's, uh, her, her mom would kill chickens out in the yard for dinner. You know, she would chop their mm -hmm. heads off with an axe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, did you watch it though? Oh, it was my mom's mom when my mom was little. So I wasn't born oh, yet. Oh, okay. Okay. So you weren't, okay. So yeah, you were not in the picture yet. No, I'd have been, I'd have been traumatized, I think. It is traumatizing because I have um, cousins who went to Central America and when whenever we if we would go, we would go for like two or three weeks at a time. And I have one cousin who has just been like completely traumatized yeah. by seeing people cut chickens heads off. I loved animals anyway. when I was a kid. So, I mean, I just loved animals. I wanted to be a veterinarian. Oh. But then I realized later that I had to, you know, take care of sick animals and watch animals die and decided that wasn't it. Oh, <laughs> that wasn't no, what I wanted you. to be. <laughs> yeah, I love animals, but I also love blood and guts. Oh, that's uh, true. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> what's next? <laughs> Adolfo barely graduated from high school at the bottom of his class, and he dropped out of junior college after his first semester. His interests lay elsewhere and learning the secrets of Paolo Mayambe from his Haitian Palero mentor was at the top of the list. Mm. He also spent time cruising the gay bars in Miami. And I first read that Paolo Mayambe takes no position on sexuality, but further reading suggests that Paolo Mayambe actually prohibits homosexuality. But I don't know what Adolfo's Palero's position was on this or if Adolfo would have cared either way. He seemed like he was pretty confident and didn't really give a shit what other people thought. Yeah. I, uh, you know, this was happened in the 80s. Yeah. I think that if Adolfo had the opportunity to, um, I guess, pick a side, he might have identified as pansexual or bisexual. I got the sense that he was just 
somebody who loved Fruit. Eddie Love. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, Adolfo's Haitian Palero, who was involved in helping people in the drug trade, justified his involvement by allegedly telling Adolfo, let the non-believers kill themselves with drugs. We will profit from their foolishness. Adolfo claimed that he was psychic and could predict the future, and his mother believed that he had predicted the attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan in 1981. And at 21, mm. he was initiated into Palo Mayombe and became a palero. He allegedly pledged himself to Pombe, which is Palo's version of Satan, mm. devoting himself to evil for profit. Okay, so that's his early life. Now we're going to get into the timeline. So here I go. Constanzo was handsome and he started modeling. Uh, A modeling assignment took him to Mexico City in 1983 and he spent his free time telling fortunes with tarot cards in Mexico City's red light district. Seeing more opportunity for his practice in Mexico City, Adolfo moved there in 1984, setting himself up as a Palo Mayombe Palero and began predicting futures for money. And he, you might get into this, but he he would like read the fortunes of like politicians, celebrities, yeah, all kinds um, of people, all yep. kinds of people. Constanzo was also very charismatic and quickly gained a following. He recruited his first disciples, including two men, Martin Quintana Rodriguez and Omar Orea Ochoa, who became his lovers. They both moved mm-hmm. in with him, and although Martin and Omar were not exactly happy with the situation, they put up with it. Constanzo mm. was emotionally abusive to them and played them off of each other, making them vie for his affections. He continued collecting other followers as his reputation spread. He read futures, offering wealthy drug dealers predictions of safe times to transport drugs and freeing them from curses. He offered magic to make them bulletproof and invisible to police, but in secret, Constanzo had connections in the police department who he would pay for information. As well as drug cartels, his clients included doctors, police officers, narcotics investigators, even someone from Interpol. Mm. Wait, is that the British FBI? That's the international police. So, oh, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Interpol. Interpol. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> when the drug lord he was working with experienced in increased profits, Constanzo was credited and they treated him with reverence, believing that he was a godlike protector. Mm, small G on the God. Yes. <laughs> now, he called himself El Padrino, the Godfather, and was earning huge sums of money. So uh, pff, he was living large. Mm-hmm. Realizing that taking so much money from drug dealers could be dangerous, he put on a show raiding graveyards for human bones to feed his gaga, along with blood, animal remains, spiders, and scorpions. Oh. I know. (laughs) They're terrible visitors. (laughs) According to Constanzo's ledgers, one dealer in Mexico City paid him $40,000 for magical services over three years' time. In 1986, Constanzo was introduced to the Calzada family, Mm -hmm. then one of Mexico's dominant drug cartels. 
Constanzo won them over and profited immensely from them. Mm, Constanzo came to believe that his magical powers alone were responsible for the Calzada's family continued success and survival. And in April 1987, demanded a full partnership in the syndicate, but was rejected. And then on April 30th, 1987, Guillermo Cazada Sanchez and six members of his household vanished under mysterious circumstances. They were reported missing on May 1st, and police noted melted candles and other evidence of a strange religious ceremony at Calzada's office. Hmm. Well, six days later, officers began finding mutilated remains in the Zumpango River. Seven corpses were eventually recovered, all bearing signs of sadistic torture. Fingers, toes, ears removed, hearts and genitals excised. That means cut off. Part of the spine ripped from one body, two other corpses missing their brains. Yeah, and he was never, um, they never said that he did this, Constanzo, but it seems likely that he did. Yeah, and some of the the sources I got information from seem to indicate that he was totally into it. Like, that he did most of the torturing. So I don't, I mean, I obviously don't know for sure, but um, I was under the impression that he was super down to do really bad stuff. Yeah, I think he was. (laughs) In the spring of 1987, Constanza moved to Matamoros, right across the border from Brownsville, Texas. He probably just wanted to get the fuck out of Mexico City after the Calzada murders. (laughs) Sure, okay. (laughs) (laughs) There he met Sara Aldrete. Sara grew up poor in Matamoros, but attended high school in Brownsville while still living in Matamoros, which I didn't know you could do. Yeah, so Matamoros is is one of those towns like El Paso. So people might live in Mexico, but send their kids to school in the United States so they can get a a really, really good education. Um, People might work in a border town across the border. um, And um, they're not all rapists and murderers. No, no. most of them are good people. (laughs) Most, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, Lord have mercy. I don't know what's happening with this country. Anyway, uh, Sarah gained resident alien status so that she could attend Texas Southmost College. Um, she was an exceptional grade A student and was described by her fellow students and teachers as very pretty, very warm, and sociable. Fun fact she's six feet tall and six foot one. Yeah, she's very tall. Oh my God, my neck hurts already. In 1987, she met Constanzo in Matamoros. He seduced her, telling her that they had a future together and that they belonged together. Mm. She thought he was arrogant, but handsome and worldly, and she was flattered and intrigued. Mm. Well, I don't know. Again, I mean, he is super 1980s, but he is very handsome. He is very handsome. He kind of, he doesn't look exactly like um Emilio Estevez or oh hello young, uh, you know when when <laughs> he was <Ducks>. young and, <laughs> and yeah. uh Charlie Sheen oh yeah uh, who else uh th- those guys back then that were really popular I, uh-huh. there's another guy too he doesn't look exactly like them he kind of looks like an who's Charlie Sheen's dad Martin Sheen yeah, yeah. I think he's Cuban is hello. he oh yeah he could be yeah I think so Um, I think so. I don't know. Don't fact check me. (laughs) 
But if you look at him, you'll see like he has like, the same kind of hair, but also his facial facial structure is similar to to them. And I want to say one of the Corys, not Corey Haim, the other one, Corey, uh, the dead one. Um, okay. Well, anyway, uh, those those guys. Uh, this this <laughs> podcast took a t- very sad turn. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about torture and murder, but one of the Corys dies, and we're devastated. <laughs> oh no, Santa Maria! <laughs> one of the Corys. <laughs> anyway, very intense. Anyway, so he said he said he was a psychic and he told her things about herself and she didn't think he could possibly know those things. He told her that she had been chosen by the gods, small g, that there is something dark and beautiful in her and that together they could be rich and powerful. And um, this was your mistake, sis. <laughs> he was love bombing her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love bombing. Yes. Oh, boom, I love boom, that. Love bombing. When he introduced her to his religion, she was afraid, but also entranced. She wanted to please Constanzo and liked the power that she felt with Paolo. She was initiated into his religion and named by Constanzo as La Madrina, which means godmother to Constanzo's El Padrino. So Sarah was still going to school in Brownsville, crossing the border regularly. Uh, She seemed like a normal college student to her peers. And then when she crossed the border into Matamoros, she became La Madrina. She was living a double life. And by the way, when I was in, I went to college in California, Uh in Southern California. And you, I mean, it it was very easy to cross the border and go party. And me and my husband used to go to Mexico all the time time to just like, yeah, just like hang out and party. And it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the most important thing to Constanzo was that his initiates obey him. He let Sara know that if she didn't obey him, that she was of no use to him and would be discarded. Mm. Constanza started finding more converts. And as La Madrina, Constanzo expected Sara to provide sex to the converts. Love and fear drove Sarah to comply. What were you going to say? Are you just gasping? Oh, I just think that sounds awful. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This reminds me actually a lot of Charles Manson. He also seduced female converts and then convinced them to have sex with other men in order to attract more male converts. And I did not know that. And his method of seducing them was also similar to Constanza's. And a lot of the Mm. women felt like Manson could see inside of their soul, like he really knew them. And like Constanzo, he was just really good at manipulating people. Yeah. And it sounds like he learned that from a very, very young age. Yeah. Um, Sarah introduced Constanzo to Elio Hernandez, someone she knew in Matamoros, who ran a family drug cartel. Constanzo convinced Hernandez that he could help him with his business for half of the cartel's profits. The Hernandez cartel was not doing well at the time, and they agreed. Constanzo then moved his operations to Rancho Santa Elena, a remote ranch about 20 miles from Matamoros near the Texas border. I believe that this ranch was owned by the Hernandez cartel, and Constanzo didn't actually live there, but he did make a shed on the property into a temple, and he created a nganga there. 
Um, so this Ngaga thing, did have we explained? We explained what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the cartel starting, uh, starting making more money, convincing the Constanzo's rituals were working, and they became complete believers in Constanzo. At the time, animals were being used as sacrifices in the rituals, chickens and goats. Then Constanzo said that the spirits were demanding more than small animals animal sacrifices and followers were ordered to bring human sacrifices for the rituals. On May 28, 1988, Constanzo shot drug dealer Hector de la Fuente and a farmer named Moises Castillo, but the sacrifices didn't satisfy him. Mutilation and pain were essential to Constanza, and he said the spirits were more likely to smile on a sacrifice that died in agony. They must die screaming, El Padrino told his flock. Constanzo is said to have enjoyed the screaming. So, yeah, there you go. That is super duper fucked yeah. up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and I heard some some podcasts really got yeah, into the weeds in wanna... terms of the human torture. Yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and the, the limbs. Are you yeah. sure? And the limbs cut off. <laughs> the, uh, you sure? No, we'll, we'll touch sure? on it. But uh, yeah, I don't want to get into the okay. weeds. <laughs> That's not my thing. (laughs) So on August 10th, 1988, in reprisal for an $800,000 drug ripoff, rival narcotics dealers kidnapped Ovidio Hernandez and his two-year-old son. Constanzo's converts kidnapped a stranger two days later and tortured him to death at Rancho Santa Elena, chanting prayers for the safe release of Hernandez and his son. When the hostages were released on August 13th without a ransom changing hands, Constanzo claimed full credit for it. Yeah, and we don't know why uh, they were released, but that's what happened. It was the magic, that's apparently. What happened. Today's episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. It was a night like any other. We'd just finished a live show of the podcast at Madison Square Garden. It was nice to see Megan and Harry. You know, so nice of them to come. Then we told the pilot, hey, gas up the PJ. We out of here. Wait, gas up the PJ? Megan and Harry? (laughs) Just go with it, okay? Okay, okay. So, Wendy, we gassed up the PJ. And then what? Well, while we were on the PJ, that's private jet for regular folks. I was wondering. We, we were up in the clouds, scoring some quality time with Best Fiends. It was incredible. And the good news is I'm on level 393. Right on. Yes, it sounds incredible. But if mm-hmm. your head's in the clouds like Wendy in an imaginary <laughs> private jet with Megan and Harry, or your feet are firmly planted on the ground at work or in line at the grocery store, one thing is true. Best Fiends is just plain fun. Mm, it is true. Now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect, so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs. I'm sorry, I was just looking at this funny text from Harry. Anyway, power up your favorite fiends to new levels for even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. With offline play, Wendy's favorite, you'll mm-hmm. never be stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection. Download your favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. 
Did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility, including old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com fruit, you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really cool, mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, if you want kids today, or in the future, never or are undecided. It's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That's modernfertility.com fruit. There you go. Yeah. Magia Santeria. <laughs> In November 1988, after 35-year-old cult member Jorge Valente de Fierro Gomez violated El Padrino's ban on using drugs, Constanzo made him the group's next sacrifice. Then on Valentine's Day, happy Valentine's Day, 1989, Amen. competing smuggler Ezequiel Rodriguez Luna was tortured to death at the ranch. Two other dealers, Ruben Vela Garza and Ernesto Rivas Diaz, were also killed when they wandered into the ceremony uninvited. So he had this weird, like, no drug rule, but I also have um, my interpretation from some of the sources that I've consumed indicate that these ceremonies were alcohol filled. Oh, really? I, uh, I didn't so, read that anywhere. Yeah. So why? Why no I, drugs? I, I don't know. I mean, if you're going to allow alcohol, why no I drugs? Know. That, I didn't, I didn't I read know. anything about the alcohol anywhere, so I don't know. Um. So again, Beth likes to read. <laughs> Wendy... <laughs> Wendy likes to listen and watch. So uh, I listened and watched something that said that these were alcohol fueled uh, ceremonies. Um, Do I know if it's credible? I don't know. I do do not know. I do not know. I do not know. Don't fact check check me. Okay. Uh, Anyway, nine days later, the cult kidnapped another stranger. Never identified, but he put up such a fight that Constanzo ordered Elio Hernandez to shoot him without customary rituals. On February 25th, the group accidentally kidnapped Jose Garcia, the 14-year-old cousin of, I think, one of the members. Yes, slaying him before they recognized the error. Sara was never let inside during the rituals as Constanzo thought that having a woman there would bring bad vibes. But she knew that people were being killed. Money was pouring in from the drug cartel, convincing the converts that the sacrifices worked. Constanza bought Sara new clothes, jewelry, and a new car. She was also convinced of his powers. You know, if I had a man in my life who was doing terrible things, but also bought me really pretty things (laughs) and made me feel secure financially, I would just shut the fuck up. 
And not me. <laughs> no, thank you. That's just me because I have no morals. Uh, at least 15 people were sacrificed, possibly more. The targeted mostly the poor and drug rivals. And according to Constanza, I feel like it's like George. George I know. Cons- cons- could stay up but I keep thinking too. Yeah, you, uh, the Ngaga had to be fed and its strength grew with each sacrifice. Most of the people were cut and mutilated before death and some say that Constanzo also raped them. Yeah, I heard uh, many of them uh, victims were sodomized yeah. and I don't know if it was with other people's genitalia or with broomsticks or whatever, but yeah, that's what they said. Constanza then began targeting people for different reasons, and Sara was often used as bait. He wanted a strong man to give the Angaga strength, so Sara found a muscular man who was then kidnapped and killed, and his muscles were cut off of him and fed to the Anganga. Right. Sara also invited a man over to her house, and one of the Hernandez family kidnapped him, brought him to the ranch, and and then he was killed and they took out his heart and fed it to the Nganga. Mm. Eventually, Constanza decided that the Ngaga needed a different kind of sacrifice, a more powerful sacrifice. Constanza told his converts that he wanted an educated American college student to feed the Ngaga. It was spring break. Spring break girls gone <laughs> wild. And American college students were everywhere and he wanted a brain to feed on the ngaga to help the spirits think better sara attempted to get a college classmate to come to a party with her but the classmate declined as he did not really drink or party and he did not enjoy participating in the spring break activities it was only later that he realized that he could have been a victim Mm, so now we're going to get into the investigation and things really cook up when a white American kid goes missing. Uh, so on March 14th, 1989, college student Mark Kilroy, guess his race, uh, disappeared uh, in Matamoros while uh, on spring break. Uh, he was with three friends and they had been drinking all night while walking to the U.S. border. His friends lost track of Mark and they thought that he must have joined another group of people because I, I, I think he was talking to a girl who had won. <laughs> Man, the spring break activities. He was talking to a girl who won like a wet t-shirt contest or a tan yeah, something like, a like that show yeah. us your tan line contest and uh they waited for him at the car but he never showed up the friends then went back to the hotel to sleep assuming that mark would eventually come back but when they awoke and realized that Mark had never come back to the hotel either they called Mark's parents who told them to contact the police tangent but when i was in college my white girlfriends were all like yeah spring break we're gonna go to cabo and they all like bought plane tickets and oh my god stayed in in a kid's time stayed in one of the parents timeshares and they did this every year and i would ask my parents can i go and they were like are you Uh, fucking kidding me i gotta go party (laughs) with those crazy ass white girls no (laughs) come home and get your dental work done that's what i did for spring break every year I never went to a spring break either. 
<laughs> no, no, I never went yeah. to one of those. I mean, we would go on weekends every now and then to like, you know. Yeah, yeah, uh, bars and stuff. And, yeah, yeah, bars and but, stuff, right. But never like a whole like hotel. Trip to Florida trip. or wherever. Yeah, no, yeah no, never no, did no, that. Absolutely no. not. And if my children asked me to do some shit like that, no seems way. crazy to me yeah insane <laughs> insane do you want to get do you want to get arrested do you want to die do you want to get death? no no uh where are we oh okay initially police were not too concerned apparently spring breakers disappear quote unquote in mexico all the time no big deal only to show up later with a terrible hangover no big deal but mark's parents called a relative who was a custom agent and he pushed police to investigate and because mark was a young white attractive american male his disappearance launched a massive police search because all lives matter yeah and yet constanzo did not stop his ritual sacrifices on march 28 1989 sara aldrete's ex-boyfriend gilberto sosa was tortured and killed then sacrificed to the nganga on april 1st 1989 at a routine checkpoint in mexico a man blew through in his pickup truck not bothering to stop police decided that rather than just pulling him over they would follow him to see where he went they followed him to a ranch there police questioned him and they recognized him as 20 year old seraphine hernandez garcia part of the hernandez drug Police also found bales of marijuana and a handgun. So they arrested Seraphine and a few other guys, plus another man who told them that he was the caretaker at the ranch. At the police station, the caretaker saw pictures of Mark Kelroy and told the police that he knew him. He said that he'd seen him tied up at the ranch and that he'd fed him and gave him water, but then that he'd never seen him again. Serafine Hernandez was interrogated, but he thought he was invincible because of Constanzo's magic. So he started talking. He apparently didn't think it mattered what he said because he thought that the magic would protect him. Yeah, and that's why he blew through the checkpoint, too, because he thought he was invisible. Oh, my <laughs> fucking God. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't a big thinker, that guy. <laughs> what a genius. The police then raided the ranch, but found it deserted. In the shack, which Constanzo had used as a temple, police found an iron cauldron with sticks poking out, the nganga. It smelled terrible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can only imagine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Looking closer, they could see bones, a dead chicken, and then a human brain. And the federales did not want to go into the shack or mess with it at all because it had something to do with brujeria. Which means witchcraft. Um, By the way, we talked about uh, Constanzo's early childhood, but I also heard one source say that his mom kept his house very filthy. Like it was disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe all these like dirty, yucky smells was like, no big deal. No, no big deal. Yeah. It's just no usual. Um, police brought Serafina Hernandez to the ranch, who took officers to an area behind the shack and indicated that Mark Kilroy could be found there. Police made Serafina dig up the grave where they found the body of Mark Kilroy and his brain was missing. 
Seraphine said that he didn't know why they were making such a big deal out of this one, <laughs> that there were more people buried around there, and he told them where, and the whole area was dug up. A total of 15 bodies were found, including the 14-year-old boy that was the cousin of one of the Hernandez mm. cartel. Mm-hmm. Most were locals or rival drug associates. Some had been shot at close range and others hacked to death with a machete. Well, um, you know, I used to play with a machete in my grandparents' backyard and I didn't realize how deadly they could be. Uh, <laughs> Seraphine was questioned by U.S. Customs, the Sheriff's Department, and the DEA. He told them that he didn't kill anyone and had just buried the bodies. He said their blood went into the Ngaga to give them protection and good luck. He called Constanzo Padrino. He said during the rituals, Constanzo would go into a trance, was possessed by the spirit in the Ngaga, and the spirit demanded these sacrifices. Constanzo and Sara had gone on the run with Constanzo's male lovers, Martin and Omar, and a Hernandez family hitman named Alvaro de Leon Valdez, but called El Dubi, and that's what we'll call him too, because that's too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> they hid out in an apartment in Mexico City. The FBI joined the hunt for the cult members and an international manhunt was initiated. By the way, I have to say at this point in time in the late 80s and early 90s, I think Mexico City was the murder capital of the world. Yeah, it was a pretty dangerous dangerous place to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So while in hiding, Constanzo read betrayal in his tarot cards. He was paranoid, kept an Uzi. Ooh, Uzi, that's a big ass gun by his side and rarely (laughs) slept for more than a few minutes at a time. He threatened his people, telling them they cannot kill you, but I can. Boom! <laughs> Palo Mayombe specialists were flown in from Miami. Miami. <laughs> Miami. <laughs> Miami. Party Miami. in the city where the heat is on at night as it is to the break of dawn. Welcome to Miami. Bienvenido a Miami. What were you saying? And they told police that the way to find Constanza was to kill his Nganga. A photo of Constanza was placed in the Nganga, then gasoline was poured over the Nganga and the shed, and everything was set on fire, all while a Mexican TV station filmed it. When Constanzo watched this on TV, he went wild with rage and stormed about the small apartment, smashing lamps and overturning furniture. He believed that his power was gone. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> well, there are two versions of what happened next. The first is that Sara. Um, and by the way, uh, welcome to Culture Corner. Um, so in the Spanish language, the H is silent. So when you see a woman whose name is uh, like Sara or Cristina, that doesn't have an H in it. No H. No H means Latina. Anyway, oh. the first is that Sara was walking back from a store when she was spotted by someone who notified police. The second is that uh, they were searching for a missing child and pulled up outside of the apartment to search. Constanza saw police and paranoid, he started shooting at them. Oh, me, oh my. But in any case, on May 6, 1989, the group was discovered and about 180 armed police surrounded the apartment building. Constanzo started shooting at the police with his Uzi. According to El Dubi, Constanzo then gave his Uzi to him. 
quote, he told me to kill him and Martin. I told him I couldn't do it, but he hit me in the face and threatened that everything would go bad for me in hell. Then he hugged Martin and I just stood in front of them and shot them. Wow. Constanzo and Martin Quintana were dead when police stormed the apartment, slumped together in a closet. El Dubi, Omar Orrea, and Sarah Aldrete were arrested. El Dubi cheerfully told police, the Godfather will not be dead for long. So now we're going to head into the trial. Which is pretty short. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Hit it, Beth. Fourteen cult members were indicted on various charges, including multiple murder, weapons and narcotics violations, conspiracy and obstruction of justice. El Dubi confessed to killing Aldafo Constanzo and Martin Quintana. And in August of 1990, El Dubi was convicted on that crime and given a 35-year prison term. Omar Orea was also convicted of murder, but he died of AIDS before he could be sentenced. Mm, that's too bad. Uh, so Sarah Aldrete first posed as a victim, <laughs> denying her involvement in the murders. She insisted that she never practiced any religion but Christian Santeria. She claimed that the reports of the murders at Rancho Santa Elena took her completely by surprise, but she had a lot of knowledge about the crimes, and jurors just did not buy it. And in 1994, Aldrete and four male accomplices were convicted of a murder. So where are they now? Tell us. Sara Aldrete was sentenced to 62 years in prison and is still incarcerated in Mexico. If Aldrete is ever released from prison, American authorities plan to prosecute her for the murder of Mark Kilroy. The other cult members each received 67 years. Two cult members actually still remain at large. Goodness gracious, Mark Kilroy's parents believe that he was killed in order to shed light on what the cult was doing. Devout Catholics, they believe that it was all part of God's plan. They took comfort in knowing that he had time to pray before he was killed and that he is now with God. So now we're going to get into what we believe made the killer snap and our takeaways. So, Biff. This looks juicy. <laughs> Tell me. So I read a Reddit Ask Me Anything with a Palo Mambe Palero. Mm -hmm. And the Palero said, somebody asked him about uh, Adolfo Constanzo and uh, if he was actually practicing Palo Mambe. Okay. And the Palero said, quote, oh, man, that Constanzo scumbag. <laughs> He grew up peripherally around Paulo, but was a twisted serial killer. His madness manifested through Paulo because he was familiar with it. Had he been a Christian, he would have been crucifying people or stoning them. What he did has nothing to do with what Paulo is or how the religion is practiced. It has to do with Constanzo being a lunatic. Uh -oh. Most of what he wrote was nonsense and madness. There is no human sacrifice in Paulo. And then I read another quote uh, from a psychologist, and we'll link all these things in our footnotes. Absolutely. And the psychologist said, as a child, Adolfo is likely to have experienced a sense of isolation and separation from the rest of the world. His world comprised of himself, his mother, and a religion that allowed crime and drug dealing. Not only would he have felt different to everyone else, 
but he was also prevented from seeing how others live, how others' mothers behave, and how children generally are not taught to steal, but to play. Hmm. The impact of this is immense, from giving Adolfo a very narrow view of the world to making it very difficult for him to develop healthy interpersonal and relationship skills. This hmm. set him up for a lonely childhood and a maladjusted adulthood. Interesting. So uh, he had a fucked up childhood that was steeped yeah. in crime. He was brought up to believe that he was special. Mm -hmm. And I think he was a narcissist who felt like he was above the law mm -hmm. and that he could do anything that he wanted. He wasn't following Paulo Mayombe, but took it as a starting point and then made up his own religion. Because he was taught to sacrifice animals with no remorse, he was desensitized to killing. He said his Naganga demanded more sacrifices, but I think that, like a lot of other serial killers, when he started killing people, he found that he really liked it and he wanted more. Mm, hot take. Burr, burr, burr. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I I agree with you. Um, I don't know if he uh really stood a chance, <laughs> given his upbringing. Yeah. But I yeah. also did want to say that religions like Santeria, Palo Mayombe, um, people seek religions to find peace, to find purpose. And I don't think that I, I just am not a fan of yucking somebody else's yum. So yeah. I, I don't think that we need to negatively um, talk about or uh, demonize demonize these religions because for right. many they're they're meaningful well any religion can be turned bad sure if somebody somebody's bad and they want to you know we, we've <laughs> they can be bad as hell <laughs> the westboro baptist church you know we've got Which isis you know the westboro baptist church that's the one that uh pickets funerals and uh they're very <gasps> oh anti-gay they say that gay people cause hurricanes and stuff <laughs> yeah oh boy oh boy yeah I, I i again i mean who's to who's to say who's right you know what i mean yeah you I can just, take I any just religion think, and make it bad you can you can i think in general though i think most people seek religion because they want peace yeah um and, and most uh, I religious think, people I think are good people yeah. Yeah, I I would I I I agree. As somebody who grew up in the church, I am a PK pastor's kid. <laughs> um and it sucked. But anyway, uh <laughs> um I I just think, you know, religion is a very uh it's it's just it just is what it is. And I think you can make it good and you can make it bad. And I don't think that just because um, somebody worships a different God than you or practices a little bit differently than you makes them an evil person. And right. so we should not look at people who practice Santeria or the Palomiombe or et cetera, et cetera. They're just people like us. Yeah. And also, I, I wanted to mention that uh, in one of the documentaries that I watched, they were talking about how a a lot of the people who practice Palo Mayombe also go to Catholic churches. So they'll like do a ritual and then they'll go to mass. So mm. oh, interesting. <laughs> it's, it's very interesting. interesting. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Wow. No. And, and again, don't yuck somebody else's yum. They're right. not all bad. OK. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. <laughs> 
<laughs> if you love to grime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> oh, boy. What do you I, got there? I got lost. <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. Yes. So because Mark Kilroy, you know, the white guy who was killed, uh, was out drinking the night he was kidnapped, we're going to give some tips about drinking safely. Drinking alcohol can make us more vulnerable or prone to accidents. Story of my life. <laughs> I, have, I, have a, I have a fractured orbital bone. Oh, my gosh. I anyway anyway uh yeah be careful the more you drink the less you'll be able to spot dangerous situations and you're more likely to do something risky oh my god I would be dead if there weren't people looking out for me when I was in college (laughs) oh my god so uh eat before you drink and while you drink be sure to drink plenty of water keep an eye out on your friends uh if you are going out in a group plan to arrive together and leave together if you decide to leave early let your friends know um don't just have sex with the guy in the backyard of your friend's house and not tell your friends what's happening <laughs> have a backup <laughs> i'm wild have a backup plan sometimes <laughs> plans change quickly you might realize it's not safe for you to drive home yeah that guy said he would take you home but he's probably lying or the group you arrived with might decide to go somewhere you don't feel comfortable download a few different rideshare apps on your phone and consider bringing an external cell phone charger that can be used without an electrical outlet yeah that uh, like one of those charging sticks yeah great idea Know what you are drinking. Look, if a dude says, here is something I think you will like, if you didn't see him pour it, don't drink it. <laughs> avoid, avoid large batch drinks. Whew. I can't tell you the mistakes I've made on a trash can full of jungle juice. Um, drinks like uh, punches that may have uh, deceptively high alcohol content but will ruin your life (laughs) and your (laughs) reputation. Don't leave drinks unattended. Uh, Don't accept drinks from people you don't know or trust. Uh, Check with yourself. Check in with yourself periodically to register. How do you feel? Am I a little too tipsy? Should I go home? Should I go sleep? Should I drink some water? Yeah. (laughs) Should I drink some water? If you think that you've had too much, ask a trusted friend to help you get water or get home safely. Be aware of sudden changes in the way your body feels. Um, Do you feel more intoxicated than you are comfortable with? Some drugs are odorless colorless and tasteless and can be added to your drink without you noticing. If you feel uncomfortable, tell a friend and tell them to take you to a safe place. If you suspect you or a friend have been drugged, call 911. 
that's not something I would ever do. But uh, call 911, whatever, and tell the uh, healthcare professionals that you suspect you and your friend have been drugged so they can administer the right tests. And remember that even if you were consuming alcohol when a sexual assault occurred, it is not your fault. Uh, you are not alone. And to speak with someone who is trained to help, call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-HOPE. That's 4673. Or chat online at online.rain.org. So, well, that's depressing. And now I'm like <laughs> uh, rethinking my college decisions. Well, it's it's already over, you know, you, you <laughs> did it. So you learned and, and you that- moved on. <laughs> <laughs> can't do anything yeah, about it now yeah and you survived so be, be uh, happy <laughs> well i'm alive uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're gonna get into some serial killer and true crime news and beth it sounds like you've got a juicy story so i can't wait well it's an interesting one an australian woman discovered that her ex-boyfriend was stalking and tracking her through an app oh, I saw that was connected media. to her car yeah. yeah she found out that her ex had been stalking her after she lost her phone and she used her computer to try and locate the device and she realized that her information was being sent to his email including maps of where she worked and where she parked get the fuck out yeah the man had helped her purchase a land rover which gave him access to the car's vin the vehicle identification number and this Mm. allowed him to set up an app that would track her movements and give him the ability to control her car from a remote location. The app was not identified, but the article suggested that it was probably the Land Rover's in-control app, which allows owners to start their car remotely, track its whereabouts, and control the temperature. It goes on to say that as technology has advanced over the years, cyber stalking has increased, Mm. with more abusers manipulating smart devices, such as security apps, to track their victims. Surveillance software programs, which are marketed as a way for employers to monitor their workers or parents to control their kids' online activities is being used more as stalkerware. So beware out there. Stalkerware. I guess we got to beware. Yeah, beware. Also, I have to say this. uh, My impression of Australian men is that they are way more like sexually aggressive. Aggressive. Yeah. Uh, Look, that was just my impression. And I think sexual harassment is rampant in um, Australian uh, culture. Racism is too. Yeah. Uh, But uh, anyway, I just had to say that. Some of the craziest true crime stories I've read uh, came out of Australia. Serious? Yeah. Oh, Well, now we are going to move on to the shout out portion of our show. And I don't have anything. So Beth, tell us what you want us to um, consider. Um, Well, I just have a real quick one. Uh, The podcast Slow Burn Mm -hmm. is on their season three which dives into the murders of Tupac Shakur and the notorious B.I.G. <laughs> Did I say that wrong? It's just funny. To, it's just funny to hear a white lady say Tupac. It's, it's Tupac. Tupac. Okay. <laughs> I actually don't know much about this because okay. I am a white lady, but uh, I found it fascinating. So 
Yeah, there you go. Isn't it though? I mean, the ins and the outs, and I mean, the industry. It, it is. It really is a fascinating story. I haven't listened to the, the Slow Burn podcast, but every time there is a who killed Biggie, who killed Pac, n- you know, like a news story, I'm like, Ooh, who, who, did, yeah, who, did, who did? did? Yeah, they haven't really gotten into that part yet. They're just talking about mm-hmm. how they came up, and yeah, there was a lot in the last episode that I listened to about Ice T that I didn't know. Yeah, SVU Ice T. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how how the hell did he get on Law and Order after writing a song about uh, because John Sing- John Singleton, uh, John Singleton was like, I think that you would be really really good on this show. I think, and uh, uh, he was like, "All right, fine, I'll do it." <laughs> and he, and he, he's been that's on nuts, it for man. the past seventeen I years know, or seasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, to be honest with you, I don't think Ice T was a very good rapper, right? But he, um, you know, he just took advantage of whatever opportunities came his way. Yeah. And also the with the notorious Big and and Tupac, it's the East Coast versus West Coast and hip hop people you know white people were like ah this is a fad but little did they know all their little white kids are like oh i love this hip-hop stuff (laughs) and uh it hasn't gone away (laughs) because hip-hop is powerful uh so uh thank you for this recommendation because now i am yeah you should listen to it yeah, so uh, where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod, And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. That's all true. Beth is not a liar. Uh, This is a (laughs) weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months. 
as a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. <laughs> 